2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. The epistle of 2 Corinthians is probably Paul's most personal letter. He just really bears his heart in this letter for some reason. He gives us insight into the suffering that he's enduring as a follower of Christ. He, he spends a lot of time defending his authority as a preacher. And it is significant, I think, that in the epistle, the letter that is the most personal, he gives us his most graphic insight into a satanic or a, a doctrine, a theology of Satan or the devil. I suggested last week that it would be a good thing for you to go back and reread Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. And see again this beautiful arrangement that God has for His people. And, and read again the marvelous plan of God as He created man and put him in this garden of innocency. For the fact is that in order to live a successful life, a person must understand that he is not only created by God and is dependent upon God and accountable to God, but that man has an adversary in his life, an enemy. And so you walk into this beautiful garden that the author describes in Genesis 1, before it's been blemished by sin, and there is man in his innocence. So he's innocent because he's never had the opportunity or the occasion of choice. And you can see in the background, you can just sense this Lurking in the shadows, this enemy, this adversary, God uses him. Does he use the serpent? So that man will be confronted with an option, with a choice. God wants man to love him because he chooses to love him, not because he's the only one to love. And man needs to understand that, that there is this adversary. And you, tra you can trace his trail all the way through the Bible because we all have an invisible enemy and an adversary that is bent on the destruction of your soul or the crippling of your Christian witness or life. Now the Apostle Paul picks up on this Genesis, this uh, primal theme, and he, he, he says that, the sa that Satan came masquerading and he, he completely deceived Eve. Completely deceived her. And that... He does that. He does deceive us. And that He is committed to the destruction of our soul and the crippling of the Christian life. 
And Paul is saying, um, you know, I, I, I want to, this may seem foolish to you, but he said, I, I, I'm scared to death. I'm terrified because I know professionally and I know personally that there is an adversary and that he is bent on your destruction and I'm afraid, I'm scared because I know that what he wants to do is to lead you astray from the simplicity and the purity of your devotion to Christ. And I want us to look, I want you to read with me again verses 3 and 4 because in verses 3 and 4 he gives really an outline of the purpose and the process or procedure of, of the devil, and then he identifies a couple of partners that he uses because he never works alone. Read verse 3 with me again. But I'm afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom you've not preached, or we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you've not received, or a different gospel which you've not accepted. You bear this beautifully. The purpose, the procedure, and the partners. What is the purpose of Satan's opposition? Or why does he do what he does? Somebody asked a lady one time, she never saw anything bad about anybody. I mean, she always said something good about everybody. And somebody said, well, what are you going to say good about the devil? And he said, well, she thought a minute. She said, well, you'll have to admit he's pretty industrious. <laughs> I mean, what does he do? What he, why does he do what he does? Well, there is a twofold purpose in, in Satan's um, plan. The first is that he wants to complicate Christianity. To draw you away, he says, from the simplicity of your devotion. What interesting word is that word simplicity. It means singleness or wholeheartedness. And this is what Satan wants to do. He wants to take your wholeheartedness and make your singleheartedness or wholeheartedness and make it halfheartedness. Now, I have a feeling he's succeeded with some of us. Now, what Satan does not want to do necessarily is to get everybody... To, to, to stand up in opposition to Christ or to God. What he'd like to do is to fill up this church with people who serve God half-heartedly. And I think that probably some of you can remember when there was a time in your own life where there was single-hearted devotion to God and you were just wholeheartedly sold out to Him. And somehow it's kind of a single, it's, it's no longer single-hearted, it's kind of half-hearted. And so he takes this wholeheartedness and he cuts it up into confetti and he scatters it out over a lot of things so that what we say is this, I kind of serve the Lord, but I kind of serve other things as well. Actually, Christianity is a very simple thing. Did you know that? It's the devil who has complicated it. And he has made it a matter of ritual and regulation and rules and, and, and program. And he's so that we're always putting our finger over our pulse, wondering if we're doing the right thing or saying enough of this or doing enough of that. It's really a simple thing, actually. It's like a tree with its branches. Christ is the tree, and they're the branches that grow out of him. And there are all of these things that just grow out of Christ that you and I get involved, totally involved with. Let me, show, let, me, let me see if I can explain what I'm saying. 
it's so easy to get involved in the cause of Christ that you forget Christ. And I know some people who who just got so worked up on this matter of prayer and they learned everything, they read everything they could get, they got prayer meetings and they focused on prayer and that's wonderful, but in their focus on prayer they forgot the one to whom they were praying. And, and A. Leonard Griffith reminds us that we can make an idol of the Word of God. We can be so zealous for the Word we forget who wrote it. I was want to say parenthetically, and I... And I and I think it needs to be said, and I'm not going to say any more about it, that these are critical times in the Southern Baptist Convention. Everybody's focusing on defending the Word of God and finding out who's inerrant and who is not. And in our effort to defend the Word and focus on it, we've totally ignored the one who wrote it. And what he does is, Satan's strategy is, his... his plan is that he takes us away from a single-hearted devotion to Christ and scatters that devotion to a thousand other things. You know what you and I need to do? We just need to zero in on Jesus. And I've, I've, I've observed this, that whenever I start losing my zeal for God, one of the greatest ways He has of deceiving me is to try to get me to reestablish a former condition. Let me illustrate what I'm saying. There was a time when I used to just witness, and I was so happy, and I was just full of joy. And I can remember me going one Saturday afternoon to a room upstairs, and I got on my face up there, and I asked for God to give me power in witnessing. And, and I went out that day, and I won two adult men to Christ that very afternoon. I was just so excited. And, and I, one day I woke up, and I realized I wasn't witnessing anymore. And so I thought to myself, I better start witnessing again. And I started witnessing. It wasn't the same. You know why it wasn't the same? It's because the joy that I had wasn't because I was out witnessing. The joy that I had was because I was full of Jesus. And what I was doing in witnessing was just the overflow of my love for Jesus and my joy for Jesus. And while I was witnessing, I was just celebrating my love for Christ. And I got this book on prayer one time. I've shared this book with you, Madam Guyon. And I'd read that book on... I'd just finish one chapter and I couldn't read anymore. I had to pray. And my prayer life was vital and rich and powerful. And one day I woke up and I thought, I'm not... I don't love to pray like I used to. My heart's getting cold. I've got to get that book down again. And I got that book and I started reading it. It wasn't the same. It wasn't the book. It was the fact that I was just in love with Jesus. And the book was so meaningful was because it just helped me to express that love for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And so Jesus says in John 7, If any man thirst, He didn't even identify the thirst. He said, If any man thirst, let him come to Me. Let him come to Me. And so the way you find that you experience that joy and that fullness is that you just come back and you zero in on Him. The devil's distracted you from Him. And not only does he want to complicate Christianity, he wants to corrupt the Christian. Did you see what he said? He said, my fear is that he will 
corrupts you from the purity of your devotion to Jesus Christ. Now listen to me carefully. The amazing thing is that when the devil draws you away from single-hearted devotion to Jesus, the moment he accomplishes that, the moment he accomplishes that, the more vulnerable you are to sin. Now let me see if I can describe a hypothetical illustration. There's somebody in this audience this morning, hypothetically, who a year ago was just sold out to God, to Jesus Christ. And He was the Lord of your life. And you lived to serve Him and please Him. And you loved Him with all of your heart. Single-hearted devotion. And somehow along the way, Satan drew you away from that single-hearted devotion to Jesus. Oh, you're still working as hard as you've ever worked in church. And you're still doing all the things that are out here on the branch, you know, these branch limb things. But somehow he's drawn you away from this single-hearted devotion to Jesus Christ. I can tell two things about you if that's the case. Number one, you're not as conscious of sin as you used to be doesn't bother you as much. And when you slip or when you fail, it doesn't just pierce you to the quick. And the second thing I can tell about you is that you're more tolerant to sin than you've ever been. And you rationalize it. And it's not as bad as you thought it was, you see. For the moment that the devil draws you from the simplicity of your devotion to Jesus Christ, corrupts you, so to speak. That's what, how Paul describes it. You're no longer as conscious of sin, and no longer does it pierce your heart when you sin. Does that, does that sound like anybody you know? The purpose of Satan is to complicate Christianity and corrupt the Christian. Second, what is the procedure that he uses? My mind. I wish you'd see that again in verse 3. The phrase, your mind. Now the word mind there is not the brain. It's not the intellectual uh, aspect of a person. The word mind there refers to one's thought life. And the Bible says that as a man thinketh in his heart, it's the place where his thoughts are, where, where his volition is found. It's where he decides. It's where he evaluates. It's where his perspective. It's, it's where he th- thinks his thought life. Now, to contrary to what you and I have always assumed, the devil doesn't aim at your physical life. We think that the devil takes a shot at one's physical nature, his, his physical desires. And, and contrary to what we think might think, he doesn't aim primarily, ultimately, at your emotional life. Let me tell you where he aims. Listen to me carefully. He aims at your thought life. At your thought life. Now, it's, it has to do with attitude. It's how you're thinking. Now, when the devil came into the garden, he went straight to Eve. And he held out to Eve a temptation. Not He didn't approach her in the physical aspect at first. You, you, we talk about, you know, she ate the apple. Well, li- listen to me. 
He didn't, have, he didn't even deal with the physical at first. He didn't hold out that which appealed to her appetite. He said, Adam, he said, Eve, can we talk? That's kind of what he said. He said, Eve, Eve, let me talk to you about God. And he introduced into her thought life for the first time doubt about God. Suspicion of God. Because the way the devil attacks us is in the thought realm, in the realm of the attitude. That's why when Peter deals with that great passage about the devil, he's a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour, he says, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. And the word sober there means to take control of your thought life. Be sure you understand where your thoughts race and where they lie. And so in the first chapter of Romans in that passage that some of us have not really been able to understand. Paul says that God gave them up to what? Listen, to a reprobate mind. And what he meant was this, that God gave them up to the mindset where God was excluded. They didn't want to think about God. So that what he does, his his procedure is, is that he gets you to thinking about God in ways that are totally distorted or he gets you to not want to think about him at all. Is there anybody here like that? I'm convinced that the reason why some people don't read their Bible, don't want to come to church, is because they want to think about God. And when Paul says in Romans chapter 12, be transformed, he didn't say be transformed by some cataclysmic experience with Christ. He said be transformed, what? By the renewing of your mind. One last thought, please. The purpose, the procedure. Now I need to say a couple of things about his partners. Satan has two partners that cooperate with him in his work. False teachers and foolish listeners. He said, if anybody comes to you with a gospel that's not a gospel, if somebody comes to you with another Jesus, it's interesting that he uses the term, if somebody comes to you. Because, as I mentioned in the introduction, he spent a lot of time defending his authorship, defending his authority as a preacher. And a part of the authority that he, he claimed for himself was that he was sent. And so he just kind of, in a kind of went tongue-in-cheek, he, he just says, now if somebody just comes on the scene preaching another Jesus, be careful who you hear, my friend, be careful that the Jesus he preaches is the Jesus Paul preached. It's the same Bible, but another Jesus. And they can ride up on their bicycles and park them in your front yard and come up to your door and preach to you Jesus. It's not the Jesus Paul preached, believe me. And in Baptist churches and in evangelical churches, it happens all the time, I fear, that same Bible, same, same place, preaching Jesus. It's not the Jesus Paul preached. 
It's a crossless Jesus. And it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way to God other than through Jesus. It's a Jesus that does not demand repentance and faith. Let me tell you something. This Jesus you say you follow demands repentance and faith. And any other Jesus is a false Jesus. And He came, born a virgin, did the Jesus Paul preached. And He lived a sinless life, although tempted in every way as we are. And on one day, after suffering in Gethsemane, He went to the cross and died. And He was raised on the third day and was ascended to the right hand of God and ever lives there to make intercession for us. That's the Jesus Paul preached. And it is a Jesus who encounters us, the historical Jesus, day by day with the same demand, if you come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Any other Jesus is a false Jesus. And any other gospel is a false gospel. And Paul says over in Galatians, if you go, anybody who comes with another Jesus, let him be damned, literally. You say, well, that's pretty narrow. Well, there are times when we need to be narrow, right? If I go to the doctor, and the doctor looks at me and takes my pulse and my blood pressure and gives me some x-rays and etc., and he comes out and he says, take your pick. We've got a lot of diseases. You can have which one you want. I wouldn't go back to that doctor, would you? What I want a doctor to do is say, dogmatically, emphatically, without contradiction, this is your problem, now you need to do this about it, right? If you go to the pharmacist, if I go to dentist, I walk in there, he's got medicine everywhere. And he looks on the shelf and he says, well, this probably tastes a little better. You, know, you might want this. I don't want that. I want him to look at that prescription. I want him to say emphatically, dogmatically, there's no other medicine but this. I mean, hear, hear me now. Listen to me carefully. There are all kinds of Jesuses. There's just one Jesus that Paul preached. It's the Jesus who commands of us absolute surrender, repentance and faith. It's the same Jesus that Paul put a cross on his back and walked across the world for. Well, enough about that. How about foolish listeners? Now, Paul does a little sarcasm in this passage. And, and he does this. He says, here these guys have come with this other Jesus, and they've come with this other gospel and this other spirit. And you have, look at that, look at verse 4, if I can find it. Verse 4, he says, You've accept, you bear this beautifully. He does, he's saying it sarcastically. He said, you just, you just do it so, did so well and listened to these false teachers. You just, had, you just bore that so beautifully. You were so open-minded. And he's, he's... You understand what he's doing? You do. He's driving home the blade of sarcasm. You know what he's saying in essence? He's saying, if a person comes to you with another Jesus and another gospel, you need to slam the door in His face. And you need to lock the door of your mind against it. 
and all this business about being open-minded and, and, and all that kind of stuff is foolishness. And in another place, the apostle said, there are some who are preaching another Jesus, and I, I've heard that with weeping. Now, he, I wouldn't say he was open-minded. I would say that he considered a false doctrine is something you need to avoid with your life. I won't listen to them. I don't care what we're called when we don't. Now what is the summation of all of this? It's that we have an adversary, but we have an advocate. Praise the Lord. The little girl said to her, Daddy, is the devil bigger than me? She said, yes, he is. Well, is the devil bigger than you? And he said, yes, he is. And he, she was getting a little bit t- tense. She said, well, is he bigger than God? He said, oh, no, honey, he's not bigger than God. Then she said, well, I'm not afraid of it. Now, we have an adversary, but we have an advocate. You ever been audited by the IRS? Confession time? When I was pastoring in Iowa Park, Texas, I got this notice that I was going to be audited by the IRS. It wasn't because I was cheap, because I didn't even have enough to make. You know, I went over there and they told me, so you were one of the lucky ones. We pick out a digit out of a social security number and we audit. Everybody has that digit number. You're one of the lucky ones. It's the only thing I ever won by drawing. <laughs> and I went into this guy. I, I went down and I, I, the guy that did my, my income tax, he said, don't worry about it, I'll go with you. He said, I won't. Promise me this. He said, don't ever say a word. He said, I'll do all the talking. And we went in this place. It sounded kind of like an emergency room of some county hospital. I mean, there was weeping and wailing and, and pe- people crying out. And they were in every booth. And I was scared. Well, mind telling you. We sat down with this IRS agent. This guy was brand new and he was trying to make his name. Oh, he was tough. He'd say, Mr. Tidwell, and he'd, all, he'd speak directly to me, and the guy with me would answer. You know, and boy, was I glad. He'd say, well, what about this? And he'd answer, you know, okay? He was my advocate. We have an adversary, but we have an advocate. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And the Scripture says that he's a roaring lion. As a roaring lion, he walks about. But the Bible also says that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Israel. Now the the devil acts as a lion, but he is one. Is the Lord. The lion of the tribe of, of Israel. He's not. He doesn't act like one. He is the lion. And the devil walks about seeking whom he may devour. And the scripture says that our advocate searches to and fro upon the earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. So that while the devil parades up and down the earth seeking whom he may devour, our advocate parades up and down the earth seeking whom he may bless. Now what he'd like to do this morning is to draw you away from Jesus. What I'd like to do in this moment is to call you back to Him. Jesus.
I need to ask you one more time. Are you single-heartedly, wholeheartedly committed to Him? Let's pray together. Father, we forget this morning about all the other stuff that we could get involved in and be a part of. And we come back to the basic reality that Jesus is the one we are to follow and love. We want to zero in on Him this morning. Come to Him because we thirst. And we pray You'll grant us His presence again in fullness. For I ask in Jesus' name, there are three invitations. Hear me. I'd like for you this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, it's just this simple. The simplicity of the Gospel is that you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Hear me. You begin to follow Him today. You begin to follow Him today. To get away, turn away, leave what you are now following and begin to follow Him. Get up and say, come down this aisle and say, I'm going with Jesus. I want to be His follower. I want to accept Him as my Savior and Lord. An invitation for you to come this morning and join this church. can't love Jesus if you don't love, unless you love His people. You love what He loves. You hate what He hates. I invite you this morning to come and a moment of wholehearted devotion of your life to Christ. Just say, here, Lord, is my life. Single-heartedly, I commit myself to You. Would You do it? While we stand, we invite You to come.